Welcome to Living Word Church. Let's hear from Pastor Ben as he teaches from the Gospel of John in our Eternal Word series. I've titled the message, The Self-Reliant Disciple. So would you go before the Lord in prayer with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege we have of gathering together and to worshiping you as a body, as a family of God. I thank you for the privilege of sitting under your word. Lord, we know that when, you, when your word speaks, when your word is read and explained, Lord, when your word speaks, you speak. And Lord, we want to be submissive to your word. Lord, we're not interested in the opinions of man. Lord, we want your word to speak to our hearts. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us this morning. And God, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. Inward strength. You've got it within yourself. Unlock the person within you. Right? These are all terms that would be common today. Popular self-help book titles. I found a book called Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. Or The Magic of Thinking Big by David J. Schwartz. Here's a synopsis of the, the magic of thinking big. The magic of thinking big gives you several starting points to develop and strengthen the most important trait of successful people. Believing in yourself. Another self-help guru, Paul Coelho, says this, when you want something, all the universe conspires to help you achieve it. I wish that was true. <laughs> now, what about this one from his book, Listen to Your Heart If You Want Your Dreams to Come True. As there was a popular book called Girl, Wash Your Face. Girl, Wash Your Face inspires women to take their lives into their own hands and make their dreams happen, no matter how discouraged they may feel at the moment. The power's in you. It's, it's your strength, self-effort, self-sufficiency, self-dependency. The power is within. It's within you. You have to tap into who you really are. And these are all kind of self-help mantras and ideas and philosophies that are in our world. And I am convinced that book like, books like these will always be popular because by nature, we easily become sinfully self-reliant and self-focused. It will always be popular within our culture because it, it, it pushes us and, and moves us towards our tendency to focus on us and ourselves and our desires and our wishes and, and our strength and, and our abilities. Not only am I convinced that they will always be popular in our culture, but I'm convinced they have always been popular within human history. Before there were self-help gurus writing books, I believe somebody like Peter, if he was alive today, the Apostle Peter, who we're going to look at this morning, he would have, he would have eaten that up. Peter would have been all about the self-help guru. He might would have written his own book. The Apostle Peter would have bought the latest self-help book. That would have been right up his alley, because this is what we see with the Apostle Peter, right? He's impetuous. He is, he is somebody who wants to take charge and do it on his own, and he's going to charge forward. We've seen that so far through the Gospel of John, and in particular the last couple of weeks. In our text today, we're going to look at the, the denial of Jesus by Peter, this self-reliant disciple. 
And we'll see his self-reliance come to the surface. So we'll look at John 18. Look at verses 15 through 18 and then verse 25 through 27. Let's read the text here. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Verse 25, now Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Strike two. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Denial of Jesus three times. A self-reliant disciple denied his master three times. And so to understand what went into this low moment, and you have to admit this is a low moment in Peter's life. This is a low moment in his life. To understand that low moment, we have to look at the other gospel accounts. John gives one aspect of this denial, but we're going to look at Matthew, we're going to look at Luke. We've got to kind of do a survey of Peter's denial, and actually kind of a survey of what led up to it. Peter didn't just end up in this moment denying his master three different times. It took time to get there. There was a progression that led to the denial. And that's what we want to look at, a survey of that progression. What led Peter to the point that he was so confident in his own abilities that he became a failure when it came to owning his relationship with Christ. Peter didn't just stumble into denying his master. This temptation did not just come out of nowhere. In fact, Peter was told it was coming. Peter was told that this temptation was coming. In fact, it was Jesus who told him. What do we see in the early stages before Peter's denial? We see, firstly, Jesus warns Peter of Satan's plan. He warned Peter of Satan's plan. Jesus was straightforward with Peter. He warned Peter of Satan's plan. Don't you love that? We do get warnings. We have a warning of what Satan's plan is. And Jesus gave Peter a warning. This this is where we're going to look at Luke chapter 22. It says this, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So right before, a little context, right before this, this warning from Jesus to Peter, do you know what's going on in the upper room right before this warning? The disciples are arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They're arguing. They're fighting. Who's going to have the seat of position and authority? Who's going to rule and reign with Christ? Who's going to be the most important, the most prominent leader in Jesus' earthly kingdom? Right after the Lord's Supper, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. He speaks words of encouragement and hope and peace. And he's trying to encourage them because he knows the fire of trial and temptation is coming And right after all those, can you imagine being in the room when Jesus is is speaking about his body being broken and his, his life being laid down and he's instituting the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate right 
and then right after they start poking at each other and yelling at each other and arguing with each other, no, I'm going to be the greatest, no, I'm, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the CEO or I'm going to be the chief of staff or whatever, however they were wording all of that. Can you imagine? And Jesus rebukes them by reminding them of what he has shown them. He rebukes them. In, 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 in other gospel accounts, he rebukes them by saying, listen, what have I shown you about leadership? What have I shown you about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And he had modeled that for them, did he not? In the upper room, how did he model it for them? He put on a servant's apron, and he knelt down, and he washed their feet. He even washed the feet of the disciple who would betray him, Judas. So here they are arguing. He institutes the Lord's Supper. They're arguing, and he has to remind them, you're missing the point. It's not about who seeks to be first, for the last will be first, and the first will be last. Jesus rebukes them, and, and then Jesus turns to Peter and says, Simon, 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 Simon. I thought his name was Peter. Now, what's his name? It was Simon. His name was Simon. But Jesus had changed his name. Do you remember how, when Jesus had changed his name? P Peter makes this bold declaration in Matthew 16. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And Peter, Peter gets it right. He gets it right. He declares it right. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Look at Matthew 16. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, which means rock. You are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. I think Peter, you know what I think was going on in that moment? I think Peter was the loudest voice in the argument. How do I know that? I don't really know that for sure. But as, you know, context clues tells us that the man who cut off Malchus's ear is probably the man a little bit earlier who, who, who was, who's going to be arguing. Who's going to be arguing about who's the greatest. Who's the greatest. And Jesus reminds this group of the, of the example he gave them. And then he turns to the one who has the loudest voice. He turns to the one who was going to preach the first gospel message in the book of Acts. He turns to the one that is the vocal leader. And I, 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 can't, I can't say this for, for sure, but I can picture it in my mind that when they're arguing, Jesus rebukes them, corrects them, and I can see Jesus turning right next to Peter, putting his face in his hands and saying, Simon, Simon, listen, what does he say? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. I can see this tender rebuke of Peter. I can see this tender rebuke of Peter reminding him, saying, listen, Simon, you're missing the point here. Listen, temptation is coming. You're fighting about the wrong thing. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Satan has asked for you. He's demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. Jesus is telling Peter that Satan has plans for him. He has plans for him. Listen, Peter, Satan has plans for you. He's going to test you. And Jesus uses an illustration to describe that test. He says that that test that's coming from Satan for you, Peter, is like the sifting of wheat. He wants to sift you like wheat. What does that mean when Jesus uses that illustration? We may not understand sifting wheat, but I know Peter would have understood sifting wheat. In ancient harvesting, ancient times of harvesting wheat, we, would, we, we don't harvest wheat like that now, right? We have machines that will harvest. But whenever you have harvesters to go to harvest the wheat, they would 
take the wheat in bundles and then they would bring it and they would have a time of sifting of the wheat. And you know how you have a colander where you put your rice. I'm going to put rice in the colander today because I have a roast in my oven right now. I'm going to eat that over rice. I'm going to take that cooked rice and put it in the colander. I'm going to, I'm going to run some water over it and get all the starch off of it. And we're going, to, we're going to eat that. We're going to drain all that out, right? Well, they would do the same with the wheat because when you would harvest the wheat, there's chaff connected to it. And the chaff needs to be separated. So they'd have this big circular type colander where there's a handle on, on either end. Two people would hold it and they'd put the freshly harvested wheat and they'd throw it into this big colander looking thing basket and two people this is what they would do they would they toss up they'd shake up they'd throw up the the harvest and the wind would blow away the chaff and the wheat would fall and remain and so it, you couldn't just get up there and like take the basket and kind of bounce it around like you're playing with it you had to get with it you had to violently move it you had to bounce it up you, you had to shake it and this is what Jesus is telling Peter Simon Simon Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat he's telling him the testing is coming the shaking is coming the 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 sifting is coming and there needs to be a separation between what is not good in your life and what is good the testing is coming tossed in the air wind driving away the chaff this is what Jesus is warning Peter about. Satan is going to test you. He's going to tempt you. And it will be a time of separation, a time of shaking. And Jesus is lovingly warning this self-reliant disciple that pressure is coming. Pressure is coming. And this is nothing new. This is how Satan works. He tempts us. He tests us. He tries us. He puts pressure on us. Scripture warns us, look at Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our, 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 our battle is not against people. It's not against people who have different ideas than us. Our battle is not against people. Our battle is against spiritual forces in heavenly places, against the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Satan is a schemer. He has plans. And Jesus is telling Peter, Satan has asked for you. He's asked for you. You know that word you there is plural. So when Jesus is saying this, again, go back to the scene. They've been arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus rebukes them, reminds them. I've given you the example to follow. He specifically talks to Peter when he's telling Peter, these disciples are listening. Satan has asked for you. I don't think he's just speaking about Peter, though he is. He's speaking about all that are in the room and all the ones that Peter is going to eventually lead. Satan's asked for you, but he's leaning into Peter to warn him about this trial. Why? Because I believe he's leaning into Peter because Peter was the leader. He was the leader. He was the one that was the vocal leader. Notice what Peter says later on in his life. 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised. You think Peter was surprised? He was warned. But I think he was caught off guard. And so later, later he writes, Beloved, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. It's something strange or happening to you. That is so interesting he writes that. Because he was warned, but he was caught off guard. He learned his lesson. Jesus warns Peter about the fiery trial, and we are warned as well. 
This is what Satan does. He seeks to use the trials of this broken life in which we live to squeeze out our faith. To squeeze out our faith. To pressure us. To cast doubt. And listen. Satan never misses an opportunity. He never misses an opportunity. He takes advantage of every opportunity in our life to tempt us, to squeeze out, try to squeeze out our faith, to cast doubt on God's goodness. He never misses a beat, never misses an opportunity, and he's always looking for an angle. He's always looking for an angle. Always looking for an angle. You ever heard the phrase, the devil's in the... The details, because it's true, the devil's in the details. Uh, There's a a lawyer, Erica Kohlberg, who went viral in 2023 on TikTok for posting about reading the fine print on popular business websites. She says, fine print is the subtle art of deception. Fine print is the subtle art of deception. We're going to tell you what the product is all about, but there's some fine print we really don't want you to see. You know what that's called? That's called deception. Because Businesses know that 99.9% of us don't read the fine print and we just sign the dotted line. The fine print, the devil is in the details. He's in the details. And the point is this, what we would overlook, our enemy is not going to overlook. What we would overlook, he doesn't. He is in the fine print. He's in the details, trying to take advantage of every moment of our life, take advantage of us in our sickness, take advantage of us in our temptations, take advantage of us in the weaknesses of our flesh. He's looking to trap us like he was looking to trap Peter. So the call for us today is not to live foolishly like our enemy Satan is not trying to take advantage of us. Again, listen to what Peter says. He says earlier, don't be Surprise when the testing comes. Look at what he says here in 1 Peter 5. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter learned his lesson, didn't he? He had gotten the warning. He'd gotten the warning, but somehow he was caught off guard. But now he says, hey, Hey, don't be surprised. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Live in the understanding, with the understanding, in the reality that the devil is in the details. He's trying to take advantage of you. He's trying to take advantage of that moment. He took advantage of that moment when Peter was distraught. His master was arrested, was betrayed and arrested. His master was on trial, and Peter is under pressure. He's under that moment, the weight of all that is happening to him. He's confused, and he's, he's worried. He's upset. And in that moment, the temptation comes, and the enemy comes in to over, try to overturn his faith. But notice what the promise is. You notice what Jesus said, what he says after, when he says, Simon, Simon, Satan's asked for you. He says, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Peter, your, your faith may be tested and is going to be tested, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And that is good news. Jesus is praying for Peter. It's good news. He gives him a warning. The temptation is coming, but he's praying for Peter that his faith would not fail. But listen, here's the problem with Peter. Peter is not convinced he needs those prayers yet. This is the progression. Jesus warns Peter. Satan's got plans for you, buddy. But Peter's not convinced he 
needs the warning and he's not convinced he needs the prayers. That's what we see next. Why? Because Peter believes he has everything under control. Peter believes he has everything under control. Let's look at Matthew's account. He thinks he's got it. Matthew 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will fall away. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So now we see this account, Matthew's account, says that Jesus is warning all of his disciples that they're going to fall away. They're going to be scattered. The shepherd will be struck. What should have been a very sobering moment for the disciples turns into an opportunity of boasting for Peter. Notice what Peter says in front of Christ and his fellow disciples. Notice what he says, Matthew 26. Peter answered Jesus. Jesus says, you'll all fall away. I will be, the shepherd will be struck. Peter knew what he was talking about. You're getting confused right here. He says, the shepherd will be struck, the sheep will fall away. And Peter answered, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Now, I think Jesus lovingly warned Peter, pulled him in close and said, Satan's got plans for you, son, dear one. I think in this one, I can picture, I can picture Peter. Do all these bozos right here fall away? <laughs> this guy, he's not going to do it. I would never fall away. It's amazing. This is stunning. This is shocking. Peter falls. He falls into the comparison trap right there in the midst of those disciples. He falls into the comparison trap that we all fall into, don't we? I would never do that. That's terrible. Falling away? Doing that, saying that, going there, I, I, I would never do that. Peter thinks he has it all under control. Those guys, they, they're weak. They don't have the fortitude. They don't have the strength. They're not the ones who spoke up and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And you told me it wasn't flesh and blood that told me that, but the Father in heaven, me and Father, we got a connection, obviously. I mean, he's, he's smelling himself. He thinks he's the stuff. He says, I'll never fall away. These guys will. And listen, Jesus, the one who has power over nature, the one who healed countless numbers of people in front of Peter, the one who fed the multitudes and who knows perfectly the, the heart of man, tells his disciples what will happen. And Peter says, not going to happen. It may happen for them, but it won't happen for me. I will never scatter. I will never fall away. In fact, these guys will. That's what Peter is saying here. The prideful self-reliance is over the top. It's over the top. So how does Jesus respond? Now, if you notice earlier, I didn't notice this until I studied it this week. If you notice earlier, Jesus, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. He said to them, you will all fall away. Now Jesus turns from them and he looks at Peter. Look at verse 34. Jesus said to him, truly. When Jesus says truly, you can take it to the bank. Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Wow. Peter says, I'll never do it. I'll never, I'll, I won't scatter. I won't fall away. I won't deny. And Jesus leans into him and says, he, he's rebukes them all. He says, you're all going to fall away. Peter makes his bold self, 
reliant statement, and Jesus looks at him and says, buddy, let me tell you the truth. The truth is that tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny you ever even knew me three times. And what does Peter do? What's he going to do next? You're going to argue again? Yes, because this is Peter. Peter doubles down, and he digs himself into a deeper hole. Look at verse 35, Peter's response. Peter said to him, to who? To the him, the capital him. He says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said, yeah, me too. <laughs> what he said. What's Peter saying? He's saying, you're wrong, Jesus. You're wrong. I'm not that guy. I would never do that. I would die before I would deny. Simply put, Peter believes he has everything under control. You know, the word of God warns us about sinful self-reliance. This is sinful self-reliance in Peter's life. And the Bible warns us. Look at Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a a fall. You will all fall away. A haughty spirit before a fall. Before someone is destroyed, they are filled with pride. Before someone's destroyed, they are filled with pride. Before someone falls away, they are lifted up with an exalted sense of themselves. This is exactly what is happening in Peter's life. He has an exalted sense of his own ability to get things right, to not be subjected to the temptations that other people are subjected to. He thinks he's better. He thinks he has it figured out. And even though Jesus has already warned him that temptation is coming, he's warned all the disciples that they're going to scatter. He's leaning into, he's doubling down in his own strength. You know, Paul gives another warning. Another warning in Scripture from the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about the rebellion of God's people under Moses. Talks about how they rebelled against God and God was frustrated with them and they constantly tested him and and Paul talks about that, 1 Corinthians 10. Now, now, now these things happen, speaking about what we saw with the children of Israel, these things happened to them as an example. That, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You see exactly where this fits with Peter? Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. If you think you're better, more spiritual. I would never do that. Paul says, if you think you're strong, watch out. The weaker, you're weaker than you think. If you think you're strong, watch out because you are weaker than you think. You're weaker than you think. We are all weaker than we think. There's somebody in my life who thinks he's strong. My son Lincoln thinks He's strong. Maybe compared to some other little six-year-olds, he may be stronger. But me and Lincoln, I may have told you about this before, but I thought it was a good illustration. Me and Lincoln do what we call battle. Do you remember that? Maybe I told you that. We like to battle. That's what we call it. We battle. We battle to see who's going to be king. And so what that means is, is we wrestle on the bed. And I let him pin me down and count to five. And then sometimes I pin him down and count to five so... You know, it can be fair, and he doesn't think he wins all the time. But I think I may have been allowing Lincoln to win a little too much. Because the other day, and I quote, he tells Estelle 
he says, I can beat you in battle because men's are stronger than girls. <laughs> so we're sitting at the table. It's like, we got problems here, multiple layers. <laughs> we, we got some issues with our son here. Um, but what is Lincoln's problem here? He has an overestimation of his own strength. When we battle, I mean, he's like this, and he's like this, and he's flexing, he's squeezing, and he's pointing, and he has an overestimation of his own strength. But listen, here's his other problem. He also is underestimating his opponent. He's overestimating his own strength, and he's overestimating, he's underestimating his opponent. And this is exactly what Peter did here. He overestimated his strength. I will never deny I am even stronger than these other guys. I will never but he also underestimated his opponent. And Jesus had warned him. But he seemingly ignored the warning because he didn't think he had a problem yet. He, th- he was going to do it in his own strength. And listen, my brothers and sisters, we do the same thing. We overestimate our ability to resist. We overestimate our own abilities. And we underestimate the enemy's power of deception. So often we spend our Christian life trying to fight battles against temptation. you got to quit fighting battles against temptation. you got to start running from temptation. Right? Some of us are busy trying to fight our enemy instead of fleeing to Christ. We have to flee to Christ. That's how you fight. You flee to Christ. You fight by running. We should all be runners, running away from temptation. We fight by fleeing. Listen, and in a culture that goes overboard, trying to convince us of our own greatness, we can easily fall into the same trap that Peter fell into here. I can do it. I've got this. I'll never. I'll never do that. I'll never go there. I may have in the past, but I won't this time. You know, the current mantra of the day is you are enough. You've heard it. Maybe some of you have thought it to try to Encourage yourself. I'm enough. You're enough. Hate to, hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm going to be your pastor today. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to put your hand in my face. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to say, you are not enough. All right, you're dismissed. See you next week. <laughs> I'm not enough. I don't have enough strength. I don't. I don't. I'm not everything I need to be. What I need doesn't come from within myself. I am not enough. That's a, that's a lie from the enemy. That cultural mantra comes from the pit of hell. It's where it comes from. Convincing people that we, we are enough. We have all the strength. We can do it. We just got to man up or woman up. We, gotta, we, we can do it. No. Simon, Simon, beloved Simon, you, you, you got a lot right, but you are getting a lot wrong. A whole lot wrong. You think you're strong enough, but you're not. You think you're stronger than your enemy, but the devil is in the details. When you're not focusing on the details and you're only seeing the big picture, he's scheming while you're not focusing on him. If you continue to live in the power of your own strength, you will fall. You will fall. We'll all fall. If we continue to live in the power of our own strength, we'll all fall. Simon, 
You can't do it. You're not enough. You have to have another source of strength. And that's what we see. Peter fell. We see that absent of humility, Peter denies his master. Absent of humility, Peter, he does. He denies his master. Look, continue in Matthew 26. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them. For your accent betrays you, meaning you're from that region. You talk like, you certainly know him. He would have been your neighbor, right? Your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He remembered that saying and he went out and he wept bitterly. Pride-filled Peter, self-reliant Peter, did exactly what his Lord said he would do. Three times he denied he knew anything about Jesus. I think it's so shocking to think about that the same mouth who boldly declared that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the same mouth that denied the Son of God with foul language and with a curse. It shows you the depth of what we can do. Absent of humility, Peter denies his master. Now notice what Matthew tells us about the aftermath of Peter's failure. Notice what it says. Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. He remembered his words. Simon, Satan, wants to have you to sift you like wheat. I'm going to be struck. You're all going to scatter. I'll never scatter. I'll never deny. If I have to die, I will never deny you. Self-reliant, 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 self-reliant. He's under the pressure. The pressure comes. He denies once. He denies twice. He denies a third time with a curse. And then in that moment, he remembered. He remembered something. He remembered the word of Jesus. Listen, in our pride, it's not that we completely forget the word of God. It's that we fill our heart and our mind with other things. Peter set the warning aside. He set the word of God aside. He set it aside, and he walked in his own strength. And in the moment when he failed, he remembered. It's not that he forgot it. He set it aside. He didn't value the warning of the word of God the word of the Son of God, enough to take it serious. In our pride, we do the same thing. It's not that we completely forget the word of God. It's that we fill our heart and our mind with other things. And Peter remembered in that moment, he remembered, yes, that's right. He said, he warned me. You imagine the regret and the shame. I can't believe I did this. That's why on the other side of prideful self-reliance is bitter tears. On the other side of prideful self-reliance is bitter tears. What Peter needed most was the understanding that without the strength the Lord provides, 
that he could do nothing. That's what he needed to remind himself of, that without the strength of the Lord, he could do nothing. And in actuality, wasn't that what Jesus had already told him? Do you remember after, as they're heading towards the Garden of Temptation, after the upper room discourse, after all the warning, after the warnings are headed to the garden, and Jesus comes to a vineyard, and as he's coming up to a vineyard, he begins to talk about a vine and about a branch, doesn't he? What does Jesus say? What does Peter hear? Peter hears, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, Peter. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Peter. Peter had just said he would never do something. He just said he would stand in his own strength. He just said he was better than all the other disciples and along the path. You know, Jesus doesn't ever miss a beat. He knows where our heart is. Along the path, he stops to remind not only all the disciples, but I think he's reminding Peter, hey, buddy, without me, you can do nothing. You're not strong enough. Without me, you will deny. Without me, you can do nothing. Absent of humility, Peter could not see this yet. But he learned, right? We saw that earlier. He learned about fiery trials, and he learned. He learned this other lesson. He learned, and he wrote. He wrote, and that same Peter who impetuously rose up to fight a battle that wasn't his, that same Peter who fought for for position in the kingdom, the same Peter who did not take serious the warning of his master, the same Peter who loudly expressed his self-confidence, that same Peter wrote this, 1 Peter 5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you. You You see that? It's so good. At the proper time he may exalt you. You know what the proper time is in Peter's life? It wasn't earlier when he's in the upper room arguing about who's gonna be exalted. He learned his lesson. He realized he wasn't ready. He thought he was something that he wasn't when he was loudly arguing about who's going to be first. He thought he was something, he thought he was something that he wasn't when he was boldly declaring you would never deny. And he realized that he wasn't who he thought he was. And he was humbled. But then at the proper time, he was exalted. And he wrote about it. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, At the right time, when you're ready to lead, Peter, when you've been tested, when you've gone through the fire, and you've come out like pure gold, at that time, I'll exalt you. So what of us? What about our lives? Do do we live? Do I live? Like, I don't need the Lord? Sometimes, I think so. I think we all do. Do we live as, as though we're self-sufficient? I think so. It's all of our natural tendency. I think J.C. Ryle rightly says this about the intended purpose of the recording of Peter's fall. There's lots of things you could put in Scripture and not put in Scripture and still get the, the message. You could remove this portion of the denial of Peter, and you could still get the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what I love about the details of Scripture. There's intended purposes behind it. And I can't wait for John 21 for the conclusion of this story that we're going to get to in a few weeks. But what's the intended purpose? Here's, I love what J.C. Ryle says. This fall of Peter is doubtless intended to be a lesson to the whole church. 
It is recorded for our learning that we be kept from the same kind of sorrowful overthrow. It is a beacon mercifully set up in Scripture to prevent others from making shipwreck. It shows us the danger of pride and self-confidence. I think that's why it's there. As a beacon of light for all of us, that we would not ignore the warnings of our Lord that we would live circumspectly, that we would live sober-mindedly, that we would not live as if the devil's not in the details, that we would not live in our own strength and believe that the power is within us. Listen, the purpose of Christianity is not to show you how to become stronger, powerful, or a winner. That's another version of Christianity. It's not the version of Christianity. It's not, the purpose of Christianity is not to show you how to have greater inner strength. Listen, the purpose of Christianity is to show us how to die to ourselves and to follow Christ. The Christian life moves you away from looking inside. It moves you away and it shows you that without Christ we are nothing. We are dependent on him for everything. So, awaken the giant within. Is that what we're after, Tony Robbins? The magic of thinking big by David J. Schwartz. I'll tell you, if you have those books, throw them away. (laughs) Throw them away and get low. Get low. Humble yourself. Walk dependent and not self-sufficient. Why? James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Amen.